welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Yeah. How's it going, Will? Thanks for tuning in. Good to see you on here, Douglas. It was nice to see you in person, uh, scooting around down there in Fort Worth. Uh, yeah, we were like, uh, had to breeze by because we were, we were a little busy. Yeah, uh, that that show has a volume of people, if you will. It's a lot of folks, and they've been hungry to get outside and come back to the arts festival. Whether they're actually buying or not, there are so many people that just want to talk. And so you were just engaged talking to our neighbors and talking to each other and talking to the collectors walking by. It is just an exhausting yeah. couple of days. There's an old tool video where it's a, I used to be really into animation. I thought I was going to go into animation for a while. And there's a <laughs> video that I used to watch where uh, there's a, a pipe, like a water pipe full yeah. of meat, like pushing down the thing. And it's a really disgusting image, but I can't seem to shake that one when I'm at a show like that one <laughs> or dogwood or, you know, you get these huge volumes, masses of people just pushing past your booth. Whereas like you want to get out and just breathe for a second and you see somebody that wants to buy something and you can't even get back across the street because there's so many damn people. But yeah, try um, doing it in the, the knee cart. That was, <laughs> it's like I, I could find for most of the show, I could find a section on the sidewalk where I could kind of breeze by people and be uh-huh. kind of quick. When that happened, that was good. I could kind of rush back when I needed to. Right. But when the crowds were thick, there was it was almost a hindrance to have that thing to try and wheel through people and run right. over strollers. And <laughs> yeah, I could see Renee just taking your water away. Be like, no, no water for you, <laughs> sir. You're, break. you're gonna have to go take a break. No breaks. Here's a bottle. Step behind the panel. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's not my actual storage booth, folks. That's uh, that's that's my little private area. Yeah. Man, it, yeah. Those those particular shows when they get so busy can be a little intense, but. But, um, man, no complaints for me. Um, I know there were some challenges uh, for the folks that were putting the show on with with the whole Sundance Square Mm -hmm. issue. But, you know, I I felt like it went off. uh, It went off pretty well. Yeah. What's your takeaway on that? Do you think that was a flash in the pan, a one year thing? Or is this going to be, you know, kind of lingering? I don't know. People that are that committed to spending money are going to spend their money. I don't know. Here's my take on the Sundance Square. They did not, in my opinion, this is completely my opinion. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to uh, state facts or anything, but from an observer's point of view, you get you have somebody that owns Sundance Square that wants to get into a pissing match with Main Street Fort Worth and they block off the entire area, won't let us use it. And it's like the butterfly effect, the old Mm -hmm. um, what is it like a Ray Bradbury story, maybe. But the butterfly effect where you step off the trail and you step on one thing, it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden. We're not allowed to use Sundance Square. That pushes artists down the side streets. Uh, it makes the show do other challenging things. They have other branding going on, so it, it gets a bit confusing. It's like, have I, I've stepped into a whole other show, and it, it it's its yeah. own thing. Yeah. And it was like, you know, they had galleries up there. I'm not sure that all of the galleries were representing locals-only artists, but, you know, the Main Street Fort Worth Arts Festival has always reached out to the community in order to encourage local artists to participate in the emerging artists program. Also, it's a clean slate, you know, and, and it's apply, like, apply with no knowledge of 
who or where these applications come from. It's based on talent. So Right. Exactly. Anyone is welcome to apply. So it's tough to say, well, this is locals. This is locals only. This is not inclusive. It's inclusive to anyone that's good enough. Well, let's face it. The event has grown and it draws bodies. And now you've got people in the community who want to capitalize on that attention and on that show and build on it for whatever their purposes are. So that's kind of, I feel like, what we've come up with now. And there is a little bit of a downtown Fort Worth battle going on with the residents. So, I mean, this is a problem that's bigger yeah. than the show. It is. And it's... uh the landlord of the of a lot of the businesses has made it challenging on some of the restaurants, a lot of the restaurants that we go to as artists year after year. And it's a it's a it's a huge bummer to not see mm -hmm. the bird there anymore. It's a bummer oh. to go into Riata and have a steak and hear from the server that they're looking for a new location because the uh, challenges with the landlord have been too much for them to handle. At least yeah. that's what the server told me. You know, I'm okay. just repeating, you know, straight from the horse's ass. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so, uh, but you had posted on social that there were some groups, local groups, who are reporting on their side of the story of, of this oh, whole, yeah. what are some of those on Instagram and, and Facebook and all that stuff that if people want to check those out? Yeah, if you want to check out on Instagram, there were a couple of ones that I found pretty funny. And, and sometimes they're so tongue in cheek that I don't really even know how to get my foothold into what they're talking about. Like, I feel yeah. like I'm a little out of the loop. But if you want to dig into some of that stuff, there is one that's a play off of the what was the um, the kind of the kind of naughty, uh, sexy show on Netflix Ooh. that was kind of like um Bridgerton? That one? Bridgerton. Yeah, that's okay. one. Okay. Yeah, it's Lady Whistleblower, but it's Lady Whistleworth. Whistleworth. So you can check out Lady Whistleworth on there, and then Fort Worth Confidential is another Instagram feed. You can you can uh, jump in, and they're giving the landlord lady a hard time on uh, social, and it's it's kind of uh, entertaining to sit back, pop some popcorn, and and uh, read up on what's watch happening. Watch the watch the fireworks. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> So, I mean, the biggest challenge that I saw as far as Main Street versus the other show was the fact that they wanted to have a headliner. You know, it's like oh, Main sure. Street Fort Worth has their budget. And I, I don't pretend to understand what that is. And they always do a great job of putting the talent that they can afford within their budget, you know, mix in some national headliners along mm -hmm. with some local things that everybody seems to enjoy in order to put on a really good show. And I've put on entertainment before. I've, I've put on shows and I know the balance between a headliner and then you've got somebody leading into the headliner that's a local guy that you can afford, the opener. And you put the opener on that you know is going to mix in with the, the headliner. And you, you, you kind of tweak that within your budget. Whereas if you've got a billionaire that doesn't care whether they're making their money back, then they can just spend on Steve Miller band or they okay. can drop whoever they want. And it's like, well, you know what? I don't, as long as I'm pulling away from your show, then I don't really care what it costs. So it seemed to me, my personal opinion, that it was a little spiteful in their booking of huge. It's like, well, we've got a local Americana guy down at the end of the stage and we're going to put on a, the best show that we can. And versus the Sundance Square, well, we've got Clint Black 
Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck you. We're going to sell all the beer in, in Sundance. So I don't know. I, I wish that they would just have separate events and uh, all for one, one for all for the community. But the, uh, this past year didn't seem to be the way that that uh, was intended. You know, I typically uh, eight o'clock comes, drop my sides and, and head off to bed. But was this year different within within the show? Did you feel like the crowds were still walking around? were still there? Because I know that you tend to stay open after. Half of the people seem to be going down to the Main Street event and the other half seemed to be going to the Clint Black or to the other headliner. So sure. I did find the streets to be emptier as opposed to needing to stay open. Okay. You know, it, it's tough to say, but I do think uh, we hopefully can all adapt. And I'd love to see that community have two events that were on different weekends that were great right. for their surroundings. I just, I, I have such a passion for that city that I'd love to see success no matter what they're they're trying to put on. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges that existed for just about every show that was going on last weekend. Uh, Dogwood, Woodlands, in, you know, near Houston and Fort Worth was the wind. The wind oh was so awful last week. Yeah, that was crazy. I was pulling a trailer down to Texas from Santa Fe. And uh, typically, you know, with with my big Dodge 3500 and a trailer, I'm, yeah. I'm getting an environment fucking 9 to 11 <laughs> miles to the gallon. And I sounded just, like my Chevy last year anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm coming down the mountain out of thing. I'm getting, no kidding, Douglas, I'm keeping an eye on the little eco thing on my dashboard. I'm getting okay. 20 miles to the gallon pulling a trailer with that Dodge. The winds That is so- like, that's helpful, <laughs> but I'm sure it felt like you were borderline losing control or something. Yeah. Definitely fishtailing a little bit. So uh, that tailwind was was messing with me. I had to stop. And but yeah, you know, the winds were definitely a challenge. Well, we got in early. Our plan was to do the early setup, pace myself out, kind of take things a little easier on this uh, challenge I got going with my foot. And we set up on Tuesday night. Everyone got the text the next morning on Wednesday, which was the mass setup day for everybody, that everything was delayed because the wind was so bad it was actually pulling the big festival tents down. Our booth didn't move, but I Mm -hmm. had us connected to the festival tent. And when I got to our booth to check on things, it had pulled the leg of the festival tent in about two feet Okay. Like it looked like it was wanting to come down. Wow. So we actually pulled our van in and completely loaded all the work back into the van because we didn't know what that day was going to turn into. Sure. And then had to bring it all back later in the day. So it was basically a setup from hell. I remember seeing a, a some kind of a nature documentary where some animal kicks over a, a huge dung beetle nest. Sure. And then the dung beetles come back in and they start tick, 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 rolling rolling their little balls of crap back up and putting their nests back together. And I see that every time uh, these windstorms come in and knock us down. It's like, out come my fellow dung beetles. I'm going to put your nest back together, people. Here we go. (laughs) Rolling our little balls of shit back out. (laughs) Well, I will say that we got it all back up and it was very worrisome. But the way the wind was blowing for the course of the show, there were some people in such bad shape and i feel for them i feel for their work getting blown over and what that does to your nerves all day long sitting with the gale force winds blowing into your booth and all this work you bring to 
blow all over the place, but uh, we all know wind. And the words of uh, Betty Yeager, wind can, what did she say? Eat my ass? <laughs> wind can eat my ass. It's the, the Independent Artist Podcast t-shirt. It's our new motto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we talk about the wind drama, and that brings us into self-imposed drama. Uh, our boy Stephen King decided to wake up and choose violence yesterday on social media. <laughs> I think your official your official description was poking the bear. <laughs> yeah, and Sue Abbott was like, ladies and gentlemen, it has been revealed that Will Armstrong is the bear. Is the bear. You kind of wanted to tiptoe into it, like being all calm and whatever. By the end of it, you're like, it's going to explode. <laughs> I don't know. Here's how I feel about those social media exchanges and why they turn into a shit show. And I did this yesterday. But here's here's the, the big issue. It's like, OK, you've got a point. Step in and make your point. Like, okay, if you read the entire thread, then you're going to make the point. But this back and forth thing, like, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but blah, blah, blah. And I had a tendency to do that yesterday. So uh, I was trying to paint and I was trying to finish something. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, opening that can of worms, Stephen. So the conversation was about original only show. If you're not selling reproductions at that show, do you need to disclose that you sell them elsewhere on your website or at a different show that allows reproductions? It isn't the issue of you can't do reproductions. It's should you disclose it? I think the reason that I got passionate about that, Douglas, is because, okay, I have a different business model for multiple different shows that I do. There's a show that I do around the holidays that's extremely expensive. My booth fee is really high. This is part of my business model for that show is I sell reproduction. Sometimes I do little small things that I do not bring to other shows. Yep. At one point, I had this this setup where I was selling these little record representations, so like a 45 of this artist on top of this map that was like, there were these little $50 giftables that I never would have sold in another art show. Some yep. of these higher end art shows. But I was sitting there thinking about how do I get this $4,000 corner booth back? And right. I'm like, okay, well, this is my model. And it did not cut my integrity down to sell this giftable because it's a giftable kind of show. Well, I think the bigger issue is, does the show that labels themselves an original only show, do they want to define themselves as a show where the artist at the show is only selling originals at the show? Or are they saying this is an artist who only sells originals, period, end of story? And that's a totally different delineation. And I, and I do get his point. And I don't mean to like just lay down uh, a hot-headed view on that. I mean, I do understand. I think there were some really interesting points that were made. There are already uh, 188 comments on this one thread here on the NAIA Facebook forum. This is where the disconnect was happening for a lot of people on this thread. It wasn't so much that you can or you can't. It's whether you, you know, you send somebody away with a $8,000 or $2,000 original. And if you say, hey, by the way, I may be using this as, as reproductions or by the way, I sell this on my website as reproductions. It really seems like a clunky way to actually have that conversation. And I feel like somebody who buys an original who is in the market to collect and appreciate originals, know what it is. And if they have a disdain towards the fact that uh, a reproduction were ever to be made from this original that right. they're purchasing, that that would be their topic. Otherwise, right. it probably doesn't even matter to them. Right. Well, I mean, it's like Joey Bradley on that that forum said, and I think his was probably the most important point that, it, that was made yesterday, hmm. is that we retain the rights to our images. That's right. And yes, Stephen's like, do we have to disclose that to people? 
And I do think that he was he was being a little a little tongue in cheek with it. I, I think I think a, it was a, theoretical. I do think yeah. there was a because honestly, how is anybody going to enforce a rule like that? They're not going to have somebody shadowing you listening to if you would disclose to a customer every single time you sell an original piece, if you've have right. made or will ever make a reproduction out of it. Yeah. So, so if I sell a painting, I am now documenting all of my images and it's my choice on how I use those. Sure. So if I sell that painting to someone one and they all of a sudden see it on the wall on a tv show as a reproduction they don't have the rights to say okay they don't get to have that on the wall in that show in that movie the artist does right i do it's right. my image i have grounds for legal action they do not so i have the right for legal action if the painting appears in any kind of production without my permission so that that was Joey's kind of point. So I appreciate what he he kind of. I thought in. that was really a, a well made and well laid out point for sure. <laughs> Better than made. mine. Better than uh, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I mean, you know what? But don't, but don't tell me what to do. <laughs> All right. Okay. So not complaining, <laughs> but I'm not complaining, but um, I think it's it's kind of a good thing uh, this podcast has made it so people, we get to learn about each other and learn about our different challenges and learn about just kind of the nature of doing business and how different mediums work. So You're making it sound like an ABC after school special. I know, special, I'm being it? careful here. Anyway, I get home from the show, and the first week uh, we spend filling orders that we took at the last show, and we do to recharge our oven, fill up more glass, and then the plan is to spend this week making beautiful, clear, pristine glass for our next big show, which is Jazz Fest. I'll be damned. If our equipment isn't starting to fail on us, we've got Seriously? circuit breakers tripping. So um, we can't keep our glass as hot as we need it to. I wish sometimes I worked in a medium where all I had to do is walk into the studio and just turn on the lights. I mean, having this yeah. infrastructure that has to be ready and working so that I can come in and make my artwork and have it not cooperate is a real pain in the ass. Yeah, that's that's huge. I know that that we have a bit of a yin and yang thing on this show, but I am definitely uh I'm definitely that guy. I mean, I can I can have a studio set up. You can you do know, your work I in a can, hotel room. I could. I'm going to finish a painting in the for Artisphere and plan on getting there a little bit early and finishing one that I have in the truck. Yeah, so we're having to pivot because our glass quality isn't what it should be based on the temperature with, with melting. It'll still, I mean, the, the, probably most people wouldn't find it noticeable, but it is. It's that thing where you feel like you're not putting your best foot forward when, when the glass isn't doing what I want it to do. So that's been a, a frustrating deal here the last couple of days and just getting getting things all ready for the next show that we're going to head out for. So, you know. Yeah. It's weird thinking about different people's, you know, and I, I don't want to liken it to what I I'm uh, go through in moving to a higher, drier climate, mm -hmm. um, but like trying to figure out how the paint dries and how it flows and how it, I had to experiment for quite a while in order to get my line quality where, where I wanted it. And I made you know, a whole round of paintings where I was not as happy with the way it was in that people would never notice, mm -hmm. but I can go back and look and be like, oh, that's from the era of, you know, <laughs> this six months where I hadn't figured out the the, the golden whatever yeah. goo that I threw into my paint to keep it from drying so quick. Right, right. Yeah, we notice those subtleties about what we do. Probably nobody else does, but yeah, so...
Right. Uh, so you're getting ready for the next one here. You're getting ready to head out to Artisphere. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Kind of. I mean, uh, here's how here's how my travel schedule went. I left Fort Worth and I drove to Alabama and okay. I picked up Alabama art panels made me these huge like nine foot by six foot panels that I'm going to create this big triptych on. Sure. So I loaded them up into the trailer. That's why I brought the trailer. Then I drove to Memphis. Uh, what? Why? Okay, right, right. Memphis. So next weekend, I'm going to meet my oldest friend and his dad and his brothers, and we're going to show his dad Memphis. He's the cool. guy that got us into all of the music that we listen to, all of the Sun Records and Stack stuff, everything from you know Otis Redding all the way through Elvis and and Hold Johnny on. Cash. So we're going to show him Memphis for the first time. We're going to have a weekend away. Awesome. Now, you'd think that five days from then, I'd be going to Artisphere and just having a leisurely trip to the East Coast because okay. it's 10 hours away. Right? Yeah, right. Well, for Christmas, I gave my wife tickets to Red Rocks to see Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Okay. So those two, three days, I'm actually going to be flying to Colorado out of Atlanta, where I'm going to leave my truck and my trailer again, go see a concert, fly back the next day, pick up my truck and trailer, and then drive to Artisphere for the Thursday night setup. All of this fun sounds exhausting, Will. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to, where's Waldo or where's Will at any given point in time? Right, we'll sleep when I'm dead. Yes, you will. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, I tried something new this week. I'm thinking about going to Jazz Fest here. And uh, I tried something out at You four. haven't made up your mind? I'm thinking about okay. <laughs> I'm going to Jazz yeah, Fest. I'm I got going one to of the Jazz best shows Fest. in the country. I going to go. Jazz, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, no, I'm planning my trip for Jazz Fest. But what I know about this show and what everybody is warning me about is the fact that it is a show where people fly in from all around the around the country, around the world, and nobody's taking stuff in their suitcase, especially glass pieces. Yeah. So. Well, not nobody. <laughs> Let me rephrase that the majority of the people are going to buy our work and have it shipped to them. So I have That's to what they say, yeah, there's a lot of shipping that goes on. So I, I wanted to create a, a more streamlined way of doing things. I hate with a passion writing all the information down on this little piece of paper while they're looking at their watch thinking how long is this going to take get me to the next event and whatever and then i have to sort through everything later and it's 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 a nightmare so i learned that there's this this feature in square where i can create a digital item on my website create a qr code for it People snap their phone on it. They have autofill for payments, the autofill for their address and all that stuff. They click a few buttons and within like 30 seconds, the transaction is done and they're off to the next thing. So I tried that at Fort Worth and it worked pretty good. Worked pretty good. Wait a minute. So you have... Uh, tell me that again. Where is this on on Square? On you, Square, you can get, so they can. Well, I use I use Square Weebly as my purchasing site. Me too. But this witchcraft that you're talking about has me hung up. Okay, so when you've created an item, you create whatever piece you want. Right. That Give it you, a name. For, sure. Yeah, and and you have it on your website. Then there is an option to create a QR code for that item, which takes them directly to the website to buy that piece. So they have to go on and buy it from your website? You can make the item not visible on your website. The website gotcha. is the location where the, the yep. transaction is going to happen. Okay. Yeah, interesting. We sold our wall pieces that are spendy, 
and people would QR code them. They save it to their phone. They can have the option to go home that night while over dinner and say, you know what, I want to buy this piece. And they don't have to wait to come back to the show to make the transaction. They could do it remotely. They could do it while they're watching the concert. So uh, I tried it and it worked pretty good. And we actually ended up getting several orders for other stuff after Fort Worth. So we had some after sales, which isn't typical. We typically don't get after sales. So this process is, you know, I'm just learning how to work it and working yeah, out the that's bugs. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. No, it worked out well for me. And, and, and I, I see it progressing down the road. So we'll see. We'll see, no, that's see how we I end like up it. using it. That's good. So, hey, you had a really cool talk with Bennett this week. I've just finished uh, editing, chopping it up last night, and it's great. You guys sounded awesome. And I just, I'd love her story. Bennett's a great friend. It, it felt good. I had not connected with her in in a in a while. I, I saw her at Cherry Creek last year, but didn't get a chance to really talk. But really cool to just just sit down with a friend and, and chat it up. It sure didn't feel like an interview. And most of your talks don't sound like interviews, but that one especially just sounded like we just happened to flip the microphone on and and catch you guys just sitting in a room somewhere having a having a really cool talk. Thanks, man. Uh, let's uh, let's turn it on. Let's hear what she has to say. All right. Welcome to the show. Mixed media artist Bennett from New Orleans, Louisiana. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. Well, I noticed here in Zap that they have a new promotional program for artists called an Artist Spotlight. Yeah, I saw it on one of my uh, emails telling me all about the different shows that were available for application. Uh, Looks like a pretty cool program. It says here that the goal is to promote the arts to a wider audience and bring more attention to the incredible work being done by artists on Zap every day. You know, Zap is growing their social media presence and this is a great way to do it. It's like applying for a show. There's no cost involved, but then you are giving Zap permission to jury your images to use in their social media campaign. Another great way for them to kind of give back to our community. That's awesome. Bennett, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been, uh, you know, I got kind of thrown right into the the mixing bowl of, of shows. I, I started my season just with one this past, uh, I guess it's been a week and a half now, but I did did Fort Worth, and uh, but you've been out there on the road. You know what? I've only, I only have two under my belt. I did Winter Park and then I did Dogwood last weekend. Okay. So can... I'm, I'm, I'm fresh too. Yeah. Right on. I wouldn't say I'm fresh. I feel like chewed food. Uh, it's well, been, <laughs> it's it's been. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of a rude awakening for me. And you guys got hammered with with weather, didn't you? In in Dogwood, or at least it was strange. It was so cold and so windy for for two days. I mean, it was it was. I was unprepared. Yeah. And then Sunday was beautiful, and it was insane. So it worked out. It awesome. worked out, but it was rough for a couple of days. So. Yeah, you guys made all your money on Sunday. Then is that that's what it sounds like? Yeah, it, it was a Sunday show. Mm. The classic. <laughs> yeah. It's the classic Sunday yes. show. All right, so yes. uh, let's uh, let's do a deep dive on on Bennett. You go by just your last name. You know, you're like Cher or uh, or or Sting. <laughs> that's it. You only need you only need one name. You do. You do. Yeah. I mean, I just want to jump right in, but um, find out how a, a queer kid from the deep south got into art and uh, through a, a football coach, a dad. I mean, I just want to I want to get down in it. Like, what's uh, where were you? Where were you <laughs> okay. born? Uh, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. 
Man. You know, North Alabama, it is um, an interesting place because it's the South, obviously. But Huntsville is known for, well, the Space and Rocket Center, first of all, Space Camp, if you've mm-hmm. ever heard of that. But um, there's a huge segment of NASA there. So right. Huntsville is interesting because it is more of a collection of people, not necessarily from the South, because there's a lot of engineers that come there. There's a military base there and all sorts of things. So while my dad's side of the family was, I mean, they are deep rooted North Alabama, have always been there, are not leaving there. My mom's side of the family was from Texas. That's how everyone ended up there. But I grew up in Huntsville and graduated and left when I was 17 years old and never went back. Ah, 17. Did you have that kind of uh, that checkered flag, kind of that finish line thing so you could you could get older and just get the hell out? Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, it was interesting growing up because I, you know, I had a really wonderful family and a, and a great childhood and, and things like that. But obviously I was, I grew up in a very conservative Christian family yeah. and was obviously battling my questioning things myself and battling my sexuality and stuff like that. It was not, that's not a popular subject in, in that. No, I'm not with those kind of folks. I mean, it's, you know, we we keep everything hush hush in the South. It's, it's uh, was this Baptist or um, what, how are you? No, 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 no. Uh, (laughs) Church of Christ. So Church of Christ is Baptist with all of the music removed. So we did not have musical instruments in our church. Right. Okay. So it's a very like legalistic type of religion where if it's if it's in the book, we do it. And if it's not, we don't. So don't do it. um, So there's not a lot of uh, celebrating uh, really in that church, the Church of Christ. Yeah. All the guilt and and none of the joy. All the guilt, all the fire and brimstone. Yes, for sure. So um, you were you're born in Huntsville. It's kind of a transient uh, town then if it's military, a lot of people coming in and out and space program. And um, yes. Yeah. You were you grew up with uh, your dad coaches football. Is that right? That's correct. My dad was a, a high school football coach for almost 50 years. And my mom was a stay at home mom. So we were, you know, the perfect uh, Cleaver family, you yeah, know, on was, paper. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes, for sure. <laughs> right. And then you've got, uh, you've got art bubbling down below you. How'd that, that come about? I mean, were you always an artistic kid? No, not no? at all, actually. I mean, interestingly enough, my, my grandmother is, is kind of, I guess, where it all stems from for me, yeah. you know, when my, when my mom's side of the family, she moved to to Alabama as a teenager uh, my grandfather worked for NASA and um, that brought them to to Alabama. And so when they moved, my grandmother also was the perfect, you know, 50s housewife. And she went to lunch with some ladies. She was just, you know, didn't really know many people. And when she went to to meet up with someone to go to lunch, the lady was painting in her house and you know, my grandmother was like, what, yeah. what are you doing here? Tell me about this. And so the woman started inviting her to come paint with her. And my grandmother started painting. And strangely enough, uh, I mean, I guess I'm like third generation art show kid in yeah. a way. I mean, my grandmother, she like 
won best in show at like winter park mm. back in the sixties and no some, way. you know, some things like that. Yeah. yeah. So she, she would go, my grandfather would build her frames. So she would paint, my grandfather would build her frames and then she would go and do a few little shows. Right. Right. But then once I came around, they, she wasn't doing that anymore. And she really, she was painting some when I was younger. And so when we would go over to the house, sometimes it would be kind of like here, take this, right. make yourself busy, you know, while she was, was painting, but she was very unconventional. She used a Rubbermaid spatula to paint. Okay. She didn't use brushes. Yeah. You know, she would like mix sand in her paint for texture and things like that's that. Great. It, you know, she was completely untrained and, and um, untethered yeah, so by art school. Right. You know, like not, correct. not restricted by, by training. Cause sometimes that training will get in your head and, and make you, uh, for un- sure uptight anal retentive artists like me. Um, right. <laughs> I've got all the training and none of the looseness. I'm trying to, I'm still trying to get it worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. So how did you find that? Like when you found out that, I mean, you knew she was an artist growing up, but like, did mm-hmm. you have a kind of an aha moment with that winter park, like best in show? Did you, when did you find that out? Years into me doing this? Yeah. yeah it was just, you know, I knew she painted and, you know, um, they had her paintings hanging all around the house, but it, it just wasn't really a thing. You know, I was a sports kid yeah, and that was, that was my focus. That's, and that's what we did in my house. You know, right? it's it, so, my mom is artistic. So I, well, I was going to ask you like yeah. as a sports kid, so the sports kids and the art kids didn't always get along. Were you kind of like anti-arts kid, like growing up that way? No, not at all. Okay. I, I mean, I... I think I was always, you know, I was the kid who was, I was with the popular group of kids, if you want to say that. So it seems so ridiculous to say (laughs) that, but it is a reality, you know, but I, but I think it's because I played sports and because just how my personality was growing up. And then, but then I also was a little on the edge because I was certainly an outsider and, and always had been to some degree. And then in high school, I went to a very small high school. I went to a, a private Christian high school. Oh, man. So we were a very small school. So everyone knew each other and we were all kind of together. Right. And and it was a very homogenous group of people in a way because it was also a Church of Christ school. And so it was just a very specific group of people. You know, you're expected to act and dress and be a certain sort of right. way. So there weren't a whole lot of fringe kids. Yeah. You know, and there's no, I mean, I grew up and and my dad went, uh, he was a assistant headmaster at a private school. So I I was a fake rich kid, you know, I got sent to the private school too. (laughs) And, uh, but it's, it's like, there's no dress code, but there is a dress code. You know, like you have to dress right. a certain way in order to fit in and not be, you know, not have your underpants pulled over the top of your head. It, yeah. And to be way. clear, I was no, I was no rich kid. I mean, as you, as we just already covered, I mean, my father was a, a football coach and high school teacher and my mother was a stay at home mom. Yeah. We, we were certainly no wealthy family, but I was actually, and this is back in the day when it was hush hush. I mean, I don't know if it's like necessarily a thing where you were from, but um, I was recruited to play basketball there. Okay. To kind of establish their sports programs. Yeah. 
it was no, I got a scholarship <laughs> under right. the table okay. to come yeah. to come play basketball there. So I was no rich kid. So there, there's yet another way I was, I was on an outsider. Sure. So, so uh, yeah. you got recruited to play basketball. <laughs> you went and played basketball there in high school. Did you, you didn't do much art. It was more of kind of in your family, like your grandmother. I didn't know art. Yeah, I okay. didn't know art. I never took an art class in school. I didn't, you know, nothing. Cool. No, no, nothing. I mean, when I was younger, I did. I mean, I loved to sketch and draw and whatever. And and strangely, my I guess my initial intro into this whole world was when I was in the third grade. There's a show in Huntsville called Panoply. Okay. You know, yeah. it's a small show, yeah. uh, but it's been it's been around for well, 45 years. Um, and one of the things they do is like they go around to all the schools and you have a contest. Everyone draws a picture or whatever that represents whatever they think Panoply is. And it's like a performance, music, art, whole kind of festival okay. for the city. Anyway, long story short, they had a first, second and third place winner. Whoever won, your image was put on a billboard, you know, for the whole city of nice. Huntsville to see, right? And yeah. it would be like... Oh, Amanda Bennett, winner, blah, blah, blah. Well, my friend Jonas Wilson drew the same kind of picture that I did, right? So it turns out they announced the winners. Jonas Wilson got first place and Amanda Bennett got third place. (sighs) And I was like, oh, that dude copied me. I remember telling my mom, like, that Jonas copied my, my art, you know, and he won. And uh, anyway, I went to, strangely, the billboard was up right by where I went to church. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And so they they were, they had put the billboards up and my mom was like, oh, we're going to see Jonas's piece, you know, up on the billboard. And we passed by and it was mine. Oh! <laughs> I had actually, yeah, I had won. I had won, you know. Yeah. And so here was my, my third grade claim to fame and they put Jonas's name on the billboard with my artwork. So they got it all mixed up and yeah. Do you ever stalk Jonas Wilson and just, just to make sure that he's not living his best life there on, on, uh... (laughs) trust me, he is not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Suck it. Jonas Wilson. I took him down. Good. (laughs) It's my art and uh, (laughs) copy this Jonas. So yeah, Yeah. man, that's amazing. So that kind of kickstarted and that was like, um, I mean, that had to feel amazing just to see your work. Work, even though you didn't get all the credit. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. And then, you know, and then like in the seventh grade, I entered some, you know, I would, I was never in art class, but I would enter these, these contests and whatever. And I entered this contest to draw this representative piece to get a trip to Japan and Disney yeah. World in Japan. They were just opening it and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and I won that for my school. I didn't win the trip to Japan ultimately, okay. but so I would enter these random things. And so I always had an interest in it, but I never, you know, doing those things took away from me pursuing playing sports, which is what, what I was, what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, at the time, if anyone asked you, it'd be like, yeah, I'm going to go play basketball in college and I'm going to just continue whatever happens after that. Right. And that was my focus. Okay. So yeah, it just, it did not enter into my life until well until adulthood. Okay. So like, did you go to college? Yeah. Uh, you, you left <laughs> at 17. I went, left at 17. Uh, Alabama? Didn't, or? didn't go far. All right. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Strangely, in in all of my years, as I've as I've lived several places, I have still never left the South. I, for some reason, cannot 
pull myself away. I think it has as much to do with warm weather as anything, but. I mean, you're a um, Southern person. You're a Southern woman. You, you like, this is who you are kind of, I mean, I, it defines, and I'm, you know, I, listeners of the show will probably hear more South in my mouth coming out just because as soon as I get around it, I start, I start twanging a little bit, but, um, right. I mean, it's just <laughs> that, that kind of, it's, is it part of your identity? It is definitely something that I tried to escape for years. I was embarrassed by it, really? you know, and because of all of, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure it has as much to do with my identity and, and me discovering myself and what I felt like were really discriminatory behaviors and views towards any marginalized group. Yeah. And it seemed to really, it felt like it was really concentrated in the South. Now, as an adult, I realize it is, no, we are just, we globally suck as people, right? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, um, but it felt because of the history of the South, you know, it just felt like I have to be, I did not want to be associated with that. I didn't, sure. I felt like saying if I, if I'm from Alabama, it meant something to people and they assumed something about me. But at the same time, like as I grew older, you know, there are things that I'm really that I mean, I am a Southern person. Right. But if you want to if you want to paint a, an ignorant human on the movies, you know, you want to paint the picture of an ignorant person, yeah. put a Southern accent in their mouth. And that's that's what we're dealing with. Whereas like the South keeps their uh, their racism right on Front Street. And you get up in yep. other parts of the country, you get up into, say, like Minnesota. I spend a lot of time up in Minnesota and and it's like uh, they hide their racism. You know, you have to you have to start to get to right. know somebody a little bit before you find out. Well, like, oh, I don't you know, I don't want to yeah. talk to this person. It's like your beliefs are fucked up and it's 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 hidden yeah. down deep. You know, uh, where's the South? Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like. It's a little bit easier because you know who you don't want to you associate. You know what you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, it's immediate. It's like you find yep. out just just almost right off the bat exactly. So, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah. So you, you find yourself, you're kind of coming out a little bit. I mean, when did you when did you come out to your family and everybody that, that you knew? Is that? Oh, well, that's another story, another podcast. Tell me a story, but, man. That's uh, just what we're here for. I want to hear a story. No, that, that, is, that is way too deep. Okay, but I cool. will say that... Um, when I was in, I was in college and, uh, someone told my family for me. So, uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, appreciate and that uh, also the rest of the city of Huntsville, you know, it's, I, I used to say there, there's a sign that says, welcome to Huntsville, <laughs> except Amanda Bennett Ugh. for a long time, because it was such a, such a big deal. You know, my, my father is, He's a notable person in Huntsville. Yeah. People may not know him personally, but they know who my dad is. Right. And uh, he's a, a great man. He uh, has really impacted a lot of people's lives in Huntsville. And so it was big news. Right. It was big news. You know, Coach Bennett's daughter. This is the thing. It's the, the, the and, billboard uh, you did not want. You know, the, the second billboard for a man. It <laughs> it's like, exactly. Jesus Christ. Okay. So, yeah. And we yeah. don't have to dig too deep into that. It's, you know, again, this is like a friendly whatever, but it is definitely part of your story. Oh, sure. You know? Um, oh, it's it's part of my story. And, and it actually is part of my, you know, the the work that I do and why I create what I create. I mean, it all is is part of it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, 
That was definitely a very impactful moment, one that was never discussed again. Really? Uh, that- for, yeah. Yeah. It, it it's it's, you know, uh kind of that that kind of family. I mean, we, we're not a, I wouldn't say openness and vulnerability were celebrated mm. within the, the coaches <laughs> patriarchal. Right. It's just set up it, there. Yeah. So it comes up and then it gets just pushed under the rug again. So, uh, yeah, ne- never, never came up again, wow. really, you know? Yeah. So except for in very hard moments, if, if I push the envelope, right. but yeah, but I, and so I was, I was still in the South. I went to school at, at the university of Alabama, roll tide. Uh, <laughs> I sold my soul and, to the dogs uh, this year. <laughs> yeah. That's, Wait, you know, I mean, good choice. Clearly, sure. clearly. Sure. It's like, it's, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is like, Oh, we're getting into football into now. Yeah. That's business. what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're like, great. Let me right. turn this off. So no, you, yeah, you went to university, um, Alabama. I got a degree in education and I, taught high school and coached for uh, several years. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, that was the conversation that I remember sitting across the table from my dad and him coming in and just being like, I don't care what you do with your life. Don't you ever teach and coach, you know? <laughs> and of course that's immediately what I went to do. And I was doing it in Alabama. And you can imagine, I definitely had some challenging professional relationships there as I am, who I am ended up getting out of that strangely went on to sell used cars. Oh my God. Strange or not, but that is strange. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Not doing this anymore. What am I going to do? And I just kind of took this job on a whim just to figure out my next step. And it led me down a crazy path and led me right here. So I, I was selling used cars for, it was a company. It's a lot like CarMax, okay, you know. So, it's so a big, there was big no box negotiation. Kind of store, kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, and they were expanding and opening a store in Nashville, and asked me to be the sales manager and open the store. And so that's what got me out of Alabama and took finally. you to Nashville. Took me to Nashville. So a little bit more of a, you know, as far as a metropolitan southern <laughs> city, you got Atlanta and Nashville and. You got right in you know, a magic right. city to some extent, but uh, but not so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. so and that's where I was. I was in Birmingham uh, before I moved to Nashville. Right so gotcha. But yeah. So Nashville, yeah. Uh, you land in Nashville. You're selling used cars. Um, you're you get yeah. into that kind of community too. Yeah. Uh, where do you live yeah. in Nashville? Initially, I lived in Franklin. Okay. Um, so that's south of of Nashville, and it's kind of where. A lot of Franklin and Brentwood is where a lot of like the musicians, like that's what I was going to say, country musicians and stuff live. Yeah, yeah. I initially lived there, and then I ended up living in East Nashville for the rest of the time. So I just lived in Franklin initially, and then I lived in Nashville for twelve years and spent most of it in East Nashville, okay. which is where all the artists and musicians and everyone lived. So right on. Cool. So, uh, so you, yeah, uh, you're in East Nashville. You're selling cars. Um, and when did you put some paint down? Mm-hmm. You put some paint down in Nashville. Yeah, I did. That's kind of when I started. You know, I had been in education, and initially, I had in education. I certainly wasn't making a lot of money, and 
had a new apartment and I just didn't, you know, I needed to, I was like this, these walls are bare. Let me just do something and just started painting some things for myself to hang on the wall and, you know, whatever, some 20 something year old kid, just throwing some stuff on the walls and people would come over and be like, Oh, that's cool. Where did you get that? And then it just turned into, yeah, I'll, I'll make one for you or, or, you know, whatever. And that's how it, that's how it started really. That's amazing. And it carried on through Nashville. And yeah, finally one day I was like, how, how can I do this? How can I do this? You know, right. uh, used, used cars is not so, it was a great job. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, we are used car salesmen to some extent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We get out there in front of the public and we have to sell our wares, you know, it's, um, so True. that, I mean, that's definitely, I, I learned mine, uh, through bartending and you learned yours through legit car sales. That's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So I've, I've known you for a while now. I met you at the Decatur Arts Festival years ago, and it was kind of, uh, you were definitely new on the scene and checking your workout, and it's been really cool to see it progress, and you're finding, kind of finding your voice, and, and um, you've, right. you've always kind of tended toward, you know, talking about growing up in Southern Alabama and, and, and that dictating your voice a little bit, but it's like mm-hmm. what I see of it, and I want to hear you talk about it, not me, but is like this kind of 1950s wholesome kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, almost like Mad Men era, but then kind of with a with an edge or with a tilt that kind of sends you off in the other direction. So yeah. is that pretty fair or like? Yeah, that's that's it. Exactly. You know, I, I, I think that probably what informs my work more than anything. I mean, aesthetically, I loved uh, mid-century advertising. Yeah. I loved um, the graphic nature of that. I loved the, the color palette. And so, you know, aesthetically, that was always a driving force for me. But um, I think subject matter, you know, what what was more challenging for me growing up more so than just coming to terms with being a queer kid was gender norms. And it was so prevalent in my household, in my community. And it, and it still is. Those are oftentimes in more conservative Christian religions, more legalistic, you know, there is a hierarchy. It, It is a patriarchal society and your home is set up that way. Uh, you're, you are taught that ultimately the man makes the decision. The man does these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and even I in Christianity too, it's like the property, sure. issue. Oh, yeah. you know, it's almost like, well, you're my property and you know, you, you vote the way I vote. You, you know, do as I say. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. 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 And, you know, we, it it was interesting because I just always, you know, I struggled with that. And my dad, while he is that guy, at the same time, my parents were really great about raising us to be independent and to be ourselves, you know, um, it much to their dismay. I took (laughs) that to heart and was like, all right, let me, let me go do this. But my dad would, would really just try to do things. He was just, he would just try to get at me because he knew that oftentimes whatever it was, you know, as I was growing up, 
whatever it was I was having a hard time with, maybe I couldn't, you know, I was being told I couldn't do something because I, I was not a guy. Wow. Yeah. He knew that not only could I do it, that I could probably do it better than the guys. And I, and I had, I overheard him one time in a conversation talking to someone about his team one year, because he ended up coaching at my high school okay. and he made a comment that he wished that I and a friend of mine could come and play for him because we would be his best wide receivers, you know, right. and he knew that 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 was true. And so, but he would always just try to uh, make jokes and it was always like, well, this is for guys, you know. Okay. And and so I always really had a hard time with that. I'm because sure. I mean, you know, I I did not understand why this was the case, you know, when I was younger. And uh, and so in my work, a lot of it is, you know, I, I have a lot of um female bodied representation in my work. And most of it is a nod to Women who just decided, no, I am, I am my own person. Right. I play by my own rules and I'm going to call my own shots. Absolutely. And then, but at the same time, you'll yeah. see the same folks in, uh, in curlers, you know, and like the house dress and they're kind of, right. their hair is in curlers and then they're kind of, they're dragging on a cigarette and they're kind of like, they're saying something yeah. along the line that throws you off of that, um, that 1950s exactly. ideal. So that's, yes, it's amazing yes. to see. So you started out doing those pieces and like in that kind of voice, did your, did your voice start out that way? Like as far as that, that kind of stuff, or do you find your, yourself going? in there. Oh, yeah, no. That is that is, you know, I have landed there yeah. over many years of very terrible artwork. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I uh I cringe to think about some of the things that are hanging in people's homes. And but they and love them that, though, right? I mean, they love those they pieces. Do, they I've do, got you know? older collectors too, and I'm like, God, I'm so embarrassed by that piece. But like, they, they're like, yeah. yeah, we've got this, and we're hanging here. And you know, you can't just say why, yeah. why, <laughs> why would you do that? But it's you know, they yeah, love those it's, pieces. It's part of our journey. Yeah, it, it it definitely is hard to see sometimes. But I mean, like I said at first, I think mostly I was creating stuff just as an aesthetic, you know, it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't saying anything. It was just putting something down, something that matched the sofa. Sure. And that's certainly not what I'm creating now, but I've landed here over time and it's likely to change again. You know, I, well, I see your work changing a lot in the last year or two, too. It's like we go through mm-hmm. um, things that just that can't help but change our work. I've talked to you a couple of times over the last couple of years because I've wanted to work some words into my pieces and, you know, not having really the confidence to do it. And it's like I feel one way about my work and then I've worked some kind of sayings or, or words. You you did. You have worked words into your pieces, too. Is that um, mm-hmm. how did that that first start? When did you when did you first start doing? that i'm you know i think i've i mean i have mostly been doing that mm-hmm. um you know i love i i've always loved street art yeah um graffiti you know yeah. i like street art and and you know things that are intentionally there but i also just love graffiti and yeah i love 
words. I love typography. It is a love-hate relationship for people. I mean, I have had people who absolutely would not engage with my things at all because they have words and that's okay, yeah. you know? Um, but it's, it's what feels right for me. And I don't always do it, but I often do it. I, and I honestly, I'm not really sure why. Okay. Some, sometimes there's a reason behind it. You know, I mean, I think people, look at, you know, generally speaking, the imagery in my work may be lighter. It's not, you know, something that's evoking some deep negative or traumatic feeling or anything like that. But that doesn't mean that that's not what's underneath it. Right. You know, and sometimes there is some commentary in those words and people can choose to interpret it that way or not. Well, that's you know, what I um, do like about your words is that, like, I, I like telling open-ended stories, you know, and it's, if mm-hmm. you, it, sometimes if you put words on that, then no one gets a choice of what that means. But with yours, right, it's not so defining that it makes it, so somebody can't reinterpret it the way they want to. So I've struggled with that, with like how to find my words and yeah. what I'd like to use. And, yeah. but I like that. It seems, it seems fairly effortless, but that's always what, um, is not effortless, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, quite honestly, for me, a lot of times that's where a piece begins. So someone will say something, someone will use a word or they'll say a phrase and that's where the the work begins. Um, I just did a piece that someone used the word raucous (laughs) and I, you know, it just automatically grabbed me and makes me, create something around that word. Right. So, so when that happens, sometimes I feel obligated to incorporate it. Right. right. I don't know why. Um, yeah. I'm, sometimes I'm like, I'm getting away from this. I'm not going to do this anymore, but they keep showing up. Yeah. So, and it's subtle too. It's yeah. not, it's not in your face. I've seen it. Yeah. You know, some of your pieces in the past have been like, it's about the words, whereas the words kind of mm-hmm. are you you're working in kind of pencil on top of the paint or you're working in. Um, right. So, I mean, it's it's just a difficult thing to do, yeah. you know, uh, how to say too much, how not to say too little. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, um, for sure. But your work has progressed in the last, uh, I don't know, the last few years. But where, where are you going with it now? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. I feel, you know, I mean, I do feel kind of settled into to where I am right now. Um, I'm sure that will change because I it has drastically changed over the years, you know, and I inevitably get the. Oh, this work is great, but I really loved your old work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Sturgill Simpson coming out with his <laughs> modern sounds of country music. And you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then he comes out with his sophomore album. And you're like, what are you doing? Exactly. I this, you know, and like if I wanted to hear uh, so Nickelback, is- I'd listen. <laughs> we can, we <laughs> can go a deep dive on Sturgill and just turn this into a music podcast because exactly. I exactly feel the same way that you do. But, you know, it's like they're growing, yeah. but it's like, well, I didn't want you to grow over yeah. there. Could you just grow in this direction yeah. where I'm comfortable? Yeah. But no, I. And it's and it's hard. Yeah, it, it is really hard. Do you find, I mean, I found mm-hmm. with a new series this past show that I did, I unveiled a new, uh, you know, a new series and it went over really well and that's super rewarding. Um, and it does seem to be like when I want to get weird, the audience finds me. So it doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know, it, they, 
they're reinforcing my weirdness. So it just lets us get weirder and yeah, weirder if we sure. want, you know? Um, but, for sure. But yeah, you're, um, I mean, like talk about this latest piece that I saw on Instagram where you've got a big cat. You know what I'm talking about, right? With the uh, leopard that's walk. Is it a leopard or a jaguar? Yeah, that would be a cheetah. I don't know my big actually. cats. That's, I'm just a yeah. <laughs> just Edgar up know, in the south. They didn't teach us about big cats down there. All right. You're right. So you've got a cheetah. Um, got a cheetah on there. You know, admittedly, this is going to seem so trite, but it was mm. important for me to make because it wasn't important. It was. It was more a. Uh, a personal thing than anything. Um, but there is, there's a book that came out at the beginning of the pandemic called untamed by a writer called Glennon Doyle. Love her. Um, yeah. And, uh, anyway, her opening story in her book is about exactly what most of my work is about. And she's talking about how her daughter, you know, as growing up, we grow up in this in this world, <clears throat> excuse me, as as female identifying folks. And there is an expectation of us and we have to live within within these bounds right. of femaleness, whatever that may be, however that may be defined. But there are boundaries. She's talking about being at the zoo with her daughter, this imagery of this cheetah in this cage, in this fence and her imagining this this cheetah busting through this fence and breaking out like this this cheetah does not know anything but these boundaries and there's so much more actually the world they want to live in is way outside of these boundaries and um the phrase is you're not crazy you're a goddamn cheetah (laughs) uh is what she says to her daughter essentially and uh it's just about living untamed and so that's that's what that's from. That's really cool. I'm glad yeah. I asked that. Uh, we're big fans of yeah. Glennon Doyle in our house. Um, Susie listens yeah, to the podcast sure. that she does with her wife, and um, really yeah. incredible stories. So that that's a big recommend from both of us. If you're if you're uh, into yeah, uh, for sure. clearly you're into podcasts. If you're listening to this one, but what right. what's that one called? <laughs> Do you remember? Um, Untamed. Untamed. That's the name of the podcast. Oh, you mean the the, Glennon, the podcast yeah, is Doyle. we we can do hard things. That's what we it can is. do hard things. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's a big recommend. Yeah, she's in the whole Brene Brown realm. Yeah, you know the whole kind of I don't know. Do you call them self help people? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not really sure. They're like it's like Esther Perel and Brene Brown and and people that are, yeah. are teaching us how to live our best lives without necessarily beating you over right. the head with self help. Um, Right. So yeah, we we yeah. do a lot of of, uh, of reading and listening to to those folks in our house, and also trying to raise uh, strong humans. Yeah. You know, I've got mm-hmm. you know two daughters. You know, how do I be the most supportive person that I can when everything that I say is lame? It's like <laughs> kids in my house who think like, and they think everything that I do is just super dorky and dad like when I'm like, yeah. well, I want to be very supportive for you. And it's like, well, if I'm super supportive, you can go the other way. And I'm like, ah, oh, your supportiveness is so uncool. But yeah, it, it's so daddish. It right? is. It's like, well, I want you to be however yeah. you want to do. And it's like, ah, uh, just, I don't know. It's tough. 
I don't know. I found that image to be kind of jarring in a, in a way that some of your other work maybe is. I'm glad I asked you yeah. about that. It seems like an important piece. Yeah, it, it was uh, just something that I personally needed to put down. Yeah. Whether somebody takes it to put it in their home or not remains to be seen. But Somebody's you know. going to take it home. Yeah. Let's talk about your booth for a minute. Do you have a presence with your booth? I've, I've like A lot of people will just put their artwork out. Yours seems to be a little bit more of a defined... I don't know. How do, how do, how do you uh, imagine your booth and how do you construct it? I don't even know how to respond to this because I often like set up my booth and I'm like, I really need to take this more seriously. <laughs> uh, but I don't think know, so. I, I, you know, oh, when I walk well, past it as a as a patron almost, because I'm a fan of, of you, I'm walking by and it feels like something. You know, there are people that do that with their their work and make it feel like almost like you're entering into this area. And do you notice, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but those banners that you put up with the yeah. little flags, you can yeah. find those in a used yeah. car lot. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> so, most definitely. Are you, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you playing with that it's idea? It's a nod. Yeah. It's a nod. Yeah. Yeah. The, that actually, that used to imagery used to land in my work all of the time. I've gotten away from it a little bit. Um, and I, I, but it used to be in, in most everything that I did. And so I was like, why don't I just hang these up? Right. I loved them when I was a kid, just because to me, I thought it meant something fun was happening there. Like there's something great happening here. There are multicolored flags hanging everywhere, <laughs> you know, something good is going on. Clearly, we know that's not true. But that it is um, good. It's definitely yeah. good. So, so that definitely is how it ended up in my work. So, yeah. Then I just started hanging them in my booth. Seemed seemed like the right thing to do, and they've just stuck around. Yeah, it does seem like the right thing. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people will do. It's like that back wall uh, of yours to me. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that's mm -hmm. that's almost like 1950s TVs, like a wall of of like TV sales. Um, I don't know if that's intentional yeah. or not, but like I see that and almost like it feels like a showroom, like you're walking into a showroom and you've got that advertising popping. I, you know, I call those little pieces snapshots because in my mind I've set them up like old Kodachrome film, yeah. right? So everything is a square and, you know, the old Kodachrome film had has the white border around the edges. I've kind of set it up to be almost like a photo wall, yeah. you know, but yeah, it's meant to be a lot to take in. Right. And for me, I tend to have a younger audience because of my subject matter, because of my color palette and even just the, just the way my work is. And it is something that pulls people in. They're smaller pieces. They're more accessible, but also they're conversations. And then it gets people in. We, we have conversations about things and it leads to my other work. Okay. So yeah, so it's an intentional thing. I mean, yeah, it is intentional. And I, I love that. And it's interesting to me because it's the opposite of the way that I do my own business. I, I have the like, put the, put your giant showpiece in the back of the booth, aiming yeah. out. And then that's what draws people in. Like, Oh my God, what is that? Like your big, gigantic impact piece that you may or may not sell in the show. And then, but yours is different. It's like, you've got a, a presence of a wall of small. So it just brings people in. And it's like, it's interesting to me. It's like, well, it, whatever works for you works for you, but you've got the, the wall 
of things that makes an impact that is really appealing. And it, it does. It makes me want to come into your booth. I see your booth shot and it's immediately appealing and I zoom in. Yours is an experience, you right. know, it's a different Yeah. Thing. Well, you know, I think that because I would say absolutely that would have normally or was at a time my train of thought, right? And then as I've kind of gotten more in touch with who my actual audience is, it also is dependent upon where I am, sure. right? <clears throat> and depending on the show and what my experience of the audience has been, it may, I may make a different choice, but oftentimes that is the way that I go. Uh, So you're saying you'll redesign your booth for different shows? Like, is that depending on your market, like what you think of as the market? Yeah. Yeah. I I may just, you know, if I'm at Cherry Creek, my big piece may be on my back wall. Sure. You know, it just depends. Um, And I, and I probably won't have as many small pieces. It just that is something I've, I've like gone back and forth with over, you know, all the years. And of course I have Daryl Thetford in my <laughs> brain telling me to go big, go big, go big, yeah. go big. And I would love to do that. I'm, I guess I'm just chicken. Don't maybe. Be, yeah. It's, um, you want to catch big fish. You got to use yeah. big bait. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But that is, yeah, I, I do always have that, try to have that, that wall of small pieces that, just draws people in yeah. my that tend to be my audience, I guess. Right. So. I was talking to Carol Swayze, and I think it was a bar conversation, not a podcast. She's like, well, it was very enlightening to me when I started, you know, my perception of who my audience is versus the reality of who my audience is and started taking notes. And she's like, oh my God, I always thought I had a younger kind of hipper audience. And it turns out they're actually, you know, more established in their fifties and sixties. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to me too. I think I make younger work, but I started paying more attention to what my audience looked like. And to be honest, it's, it's more older people that imagine themselves mm-hmm. as younger people <laughs> like mm, they right, want a little right. so us yeah right, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. they think they're right. younger and they're not and it's uh you know right. they, they still have the i don't know they're like their expensive shoes is, is always the the cliche that we look for as artists when they you know right. snap to and the when the when the polished leather shoes could walk into the booth but yeah yeah it is yeah. just interesting well, see there you go there's there's where the used car sales uh comes into play for me All right. because I have had some, you have some very unassuming people oh, yeah. come in and just throw down some serious cash for, for things. But yeah, I mean, I do think that I have tend to have a younger audience and that's, you know, it, it definitely dictates where I do well. Cause there are some shows that everyone, you know, is like, Hey, this is a great show and it's just not my market, sure. you know? Um, Sometimes a smaller show is better for me right. than than an A-list show, whatever that means. Absolutely. Like there are some some ones yeah. out there that like when you take where I met you, I met you in Decatur. Yeah. You know, there's some big coin walking around Decatur and it's kind of considered, oh, well, Dogwood's the number one in Atlanta and then maybe you have Decatur mm-hmm. or then you have this. But it's like some of those smaller shows are the ones that work. Like it, it pays yeah. a lot of times to be the big fish in a small pond than it does to be, True. you know, to go and, and have that competition. Unless you're going to, you know, some of True. those shows are real big bangers and everybody seems to do well. But right. I, I don't right. know. I like those smaller shows sometimes. 
the pace of them feels a little different. It's a little kinder sometimes. Right. You don't feel like you're right. part of the machine. So I can dig exactly. it. Yeah. And we're not going to tell you what our secret small shows are. We're just, uh, we're just going to tease no, it. You got to find, never. find your own shit. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to, we're not going to give you all the secrets. You know what? I, here's what I, I do want to say this. I, I, it feels important for me to say for whoever may be listening to this, you know, this is, this is only my 10th year. So I am definitely a newbie amongst most people. And I, gosh, <laughs> have so much to learn still. But I will say when I first started doing this, I I cringe to think about uh, there's no telling the conversations that people had about my booth setup, the work that I was creating, you know. Um wow. But <laughs> I yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. And I have had some conversations with those people who are now my friends who were set up beside me and they were like, boy, I thought a good swift wind came by and we're all oh, we're going to yeah. all be taken out by whatever you have going on right. over there. But I was fortunate enough to fall into a group of people who were so helpful to me and helping me figure all of this out. And, you know, I know this is like, it's a very competitive thing that we do because we're all vying for spots in all of the same shows. And I was fortunate enough to have people who were willing to help me out and to say, Hey, look, here's some things that you need to think about. Here's some things that you can consider. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was Cliff, maybe that that you were talking to before who had mentioned that he was just trying to ask questions of people like and we do all have those people like, how did you start doing this and whatever else? But the truth is, without some gracious veteran artists taking me under their wing, I, I would have never found a way to be successful doing this. And they all know who they are. And so shout out to all of you. Thank you. Um, but it's easy for us to be old, curmudgeon art show carnies, griping and complaining about things. But we have a really incredible way to make a living. We do. You know, I, 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 I all of the time, you know, listen, there's there's always things at every show that are challenging to deal with. Always. But I just think to myself, I am not in an office building. I'm not sitting in a cubicle. I'm not answering to anyone but myself. I have created art. I'm in a different city every few weeks. This is incredible. Gratitude. Um, Yeah. For sure. You know, for sure. I, and I and I think it's amazing when we can share that with other people. Absolutely. You know? It's easy to yeah. get into a rut. You know, I had a you know, I had a, had a great show a couple of weeks ago, but then I'm breaking down my booth in 45 mile per hour winds and I'm, you know, picking up the pro panels and, and yeah. they're whipping in, in my artwork too. And it's like, I speed to my elbow. And it's not easy, you know, what we do, but it's also like, yeah. it should be easy to have the gratitude uh, for being allowed to do what we do. And and I, I'm really interested in trying to reach out to that next generation of artists and and to show them how we can do this and it's really freeing and i love what we do i love getting out there and and yeah you know, it's not always easy and sometimes you get sometimes you get the rain sometimes it's your show sometimes you sit there and watch your neighbor sell everything on their walls while you're just 
you know, you're like, it's not, not your, not your crowd. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, sometimes you're the opening act and the other people just get to go on and, and you're like, God, yeah. they don't care about you. But then you go to the next one and it's your turn. And then all of a sudden you're the windshield. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's not for the faint of heart. No for sure. way. It is not. Yeah. No. People say dumb stuff to you all the time and, and try to and feel like you can you can take it the wrong way and let it beat you down. But at the end of the day, you're the hot person in the bar. They're just saying something to try to pick you up. You know, even if it's the most insulting thing you've ever heard in your life, it's still uh, they're just right. trying to strike right. up a conversation. Yeah. Those conversations can be repetitive and monotonous for sure. But. I definitely work harder at this job than anyone I've ever done. I don't know if that speaks to this job or my lack of of (laughs) inspiration and desire for my other jobs. But, but yeah, you know, it's a really great thing to be able to be out here and do this. It is, you know, it really is. And it's, you know, people say, if you do the thing you love, uh, then you'll never work a day in your life. And that's horseshit because we work our asses off. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean we don't love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is, you know, that is a, that was a thing when I decided, Hey, I'm going to go do this. You know, those 1950s patriarchal conservative parents of mine said, go for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, But I do remember my dad saying, what is this going to be like when your hobby turns into your work? Will you have the motivation? Will you have the inspiration and the desire to continue pushing forward? Yeah. Which was a great thing to consider. That is a great thing to consider. And do you do you talk to him about that sense? Like, you're like, hey, I've still got the drive. Or does he see it? Yeah. Well, I, he does, because I think they're amazed that I somehow have continued to make a living doing this, you know. <laughs> My parents are just amazed um, that I even read. Like, <laughs> they're... I was such such a pain (laughs) in the ass when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, I definitely, I I, I definitely got my father's work ethic because he is a person who does not do things half-heartedly. And so I think he knew I had that part, but just wasn't sure about how do you continue doing this when it is your work? And, you know, it does, it does shape things. Like sometimes when you're like, man, I've really got to have a good show it will impact the things that I create. I don't know about every everyone else. And I find that that's, that's a bad way to go. Right. I just need to stay in my lane and, and do what feels right to me rather than what I think is going to sell at the show or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But Do you have any artwork mm-hmm. that you feel is because of our business and the nature of feeling like we need to repeat things that uh, there's a burden to it like how do you avoid that or is there a burden to like oh my god i sold that i gotta make it again oh gosh yeah i just was having this conversation just the other day obviously there for some reason are pieces that resonate with people right more than others and i oftentimes get asked to repeat it you know i inevitably will have a piece that I take to a show for a first time and out, sell it immediately. Yeah. And then people are always asking about it, you know, and it's hard because in my mind, I feel like, well, real artists don't do this, mm-hmm. you know, like, which is, I think just very untrue, you know, right. How, how do you not, how do you not? Yeah. Um, and, 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 Whenever I will recreate something, I just say, I 
I will do this, but it is going to be different. You know, I cannot just, it's just hard for me. And then I just, I'm not in it. My heart is not in it. I don't, it doesn't feel right to me, but you know, and, and then there comes a time where I just have to say, I, I'm not doing this anymore. Okay. Like this is, I cannot. Yeah, I do. But it, just because it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me, you know, and that's really hard to do when someone's like, Hey, here's money. Will you create this for me? So do you, but you then do it just turn feels it inauthentic. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Good for you. I, have. I mean, it's, it, um, it's kind of like, it's the burden of a great idea because you, you have this great idea that right. sells and it's like Dylan Straczynski was talking about art fair gold. And we talked a little bit about art fair gold. Right. And then there's like, do you, I can't right. remember. There's somebody that does, you've seen them in every gift shop, like art people or some kind of thing. They make them out of trash and write a saying on it. And, and it's like, um, Oh, I can't remember what they are, but they're like, they're all over the place, little knickknacky stores and, and things. But yeah, but they used to be an art show artist that made big. And it, it said, we used to have it. Um, uh, my ex had it as a piece of artwork. And it, it's like, you have to remember to make it all again, or you have to remember to make it again every day. Otherwise it all goes to hell. And I, I both loved and hated It's like that. successories for the artist. Yeah. But like make it again yeah. or it, go, it goes to hell. And then it was like, yeah, but it, I took that to mean something different. It's like, if you make it again every day, then what if it all goes to hell? Like, I, I feel like my mm. entire soul is being depleted by making the same shit every day. Yeah. Whereas like yeah. you do have to put those, you know, have to get new ideas and put a charge in it. And, you know, if I'm remaking something, I try to focus on like maybe something different about the piece. Like, right. Even if it's Same. just like my line quality <clears throat> and, and put my, my heart and soul mm-hmm. into that. And I do find that if I'm remaking something that I, I can get a little bit of soul by focusing on something different. But when I started the new series and then had to go back after I was supercharged up in the studio and make something old that I, I just, yeah. it took me forever. Yeah. I was just like a, I was like the little kid that you see in line at the bank who's just like so freaking bored. They're just laying down on the carpet while their mom is just making a transaction. It's like, that's how I feel making some of this stuff. So I don't see a lot of the the same. I see a lot of the same spirit in your booth, but I don't see the same pieces over and over again, which is why I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah. You know what? I don't generally, if I repeat it, it is generally for a person who's reached out about a commission. Okay. It is, you know, I, there have been some that, that I will redo or I'll have a, I'll have a series, you know, like this is this specific series and it's the same sort of vibe, but it's a different painting. Um, and I, and I do a few of those, but yeah, it, it's just, it's too, it's, you know, then it just does feel like work. And I know that there is, there is work to what we do. We are oh, yeah. working, but when you are in charge of coming up with all of the ideas and the execution, right. sometimes it, it feels depleting to continue doing the same things over and over again. And it's a thing that is hard for me about specifically in the art show circuit in that we, you know, are submitting for shows that are seven months away Mm -hmm. and I may want to be doing something completely different by then, but you get caught in a loop of, 
well, this is the work I submitted. So this is the work that I have to create. And then it's right. You're, you're sucked in. It's hard to make a, a change, a serious change. I mean, you, there can be some deviation, I guess, but it's hard to be like, I want to do something completely different because you just don't really have that luxury unless you have more time than me. You know. Right. But then um, your your style, you know, it's still clearly coming from you, which I find to be right. Um, right. And, you know, to the to the defense of of the artists that do repeat things, I remember getting in a conversation with Benjamin Fry about, um, you know, when I first started this body of work, it's probably been, uh, I don't know, this body of work, maybe 10 or 11 years. But I was talking to Ben about it because the previous body of work was nothing but repetition. It was the pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, it was geometric abstract kind of stuff that I would do like over and over and over and over again until I felt like my, my soul was just getting crushed. Whereas the new body of yeah. work, I'm like, I'm never going to repeat another image. And I, I remember talking to Ben about that and he's like, well, until you don't have any ideas and then wouldn't you want to go back yeah. to one that, that sold? You know, I'm like, and you could do something. And I, I yeah. do find that they do get better and better if I do repeat something. So to the defense of artists absolutely that, that do the same thing again and again, yeah. you are, you know, if you can find a way to put the same amount of uh, heart and soul into it and it still feels fresh, you, you do you, you know? Yeah. Those are people that work smarter, not harder, (laughs) you know, and, and, and I, I want to be one of those people because I think it is true. You know, oftentimes I'm like, man, I hate that soul. That was a really good piece. And I know that it would resonate wherever. Why don't I just paint it again? Yeah. Why don't you? So do you have a business? That's a great question. Do you have a business model with your booth? Like what you want that to look like? You're like, I got to have this, this, and this or no? No. Okay. No. I am not that organized of a human being when it comes to, to things. I mean, you know, I am, I have gotten away from, while I do have those smaller pieces, I've gotten away from some of the smaller things. Who doesn't want to create big? It's just, it's more freeing. It's a great place to be, you know? Um, But obviously we are, I am confined to whatever vehicle I'm driving at the time and how I'm going to get it, where I'm going to get it. But so, but as far as having a plan, no, okay. not necessarily. I'm just kind of like, do I have enough work to even go do this show? Yeah. But no real aesthetic plan. I'm sure people are like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> not uh, at all. It's just kind of I, whatever, I see the, whatever happens, happens. The reason I asked is because I, whenever I walk past your, your space, it's like it's a very unified, to me, very unified vision. So um, it works. It's working. You know, keep it going. Great. Yeah. Great. Right. Great. Hey, uh, <laughs> what else do you want to get into? You want to, anything we're, we're leaving out? Anything you want to talk about? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I think I mostly just wanted to, to make sure that I, I passed on my gratitude for all of you, you know, who helped me along, but. Yeah. We got to, no. right? I mean, it's, it's fun to help. Uh, sure. some of the younger artists, it's really, really rewarding, like to, to meet some yeah. of the younger folks who are, are coming along and I hope we can keep them going because our industry relies on that. Right. Yeah. If we don't, they're going to go create something new yeah. and then snuff us out. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. Got to keep them in the fold yeah. for sure. Well, I yeah. really appreciate you. I appreciate your vision. I appreciate your humanity and, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bennett. See you on the road. All right. Appreciate it, Will. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. 
Man, that was a really awesome talk you had with Bennett. You guys have this this really awesome connection, and it's so great that we're able to share that with, with everybody. So thanks for sitting down. Thanks for talking to her. That's kind of what I like to try to do with any of those interviews, is just to be able to let people understand our fellow artists a little bit, get to know them, get to know what makes them tick and what keeps them on the road doing what we do. One of the things I really appreciated about uh, our talk was that she just wanted to kind of thank our tribe. I and mean, we don't always get a chance to do that. So i uh, like to take that opportunity now, too, because that is what, um, I don't know, that's a driving force behind this podcast, really, too, is just kind of an appreciation for our fellow artists, not to sound corny. No, it's, I'm I'm the king of corny over here. <laughs> I, I really do feel like uh, getting to know the humanity and the personalities and what brings us to this business and what keeps us in this business and that connection. These are conversations that we don't have with normal people around us. They don't speak this language. And it's such a refreshing feeling to hear, even though the stories aren't the same, yeah. we still, the, the root of the story resonates. Yeah. And it's the path that gets us to where we are, you know, to, that gets us out there on the road and doing what we do. Yeah. So cool. Well, I really enjoyed it. And as I've been talking about for many weeks now, my challenges that I've been having, I kind of am feeling some speed bumps here along the way. Uh -huh. And I've been waiting to talk to Lynn Whipple for a couple weeks, a couple months. We've kind of had this soft lineup here for a while, uh, but that's who I'm talking to next, and that's who's going to be on the podcast for our next episode is awesome. that ray of sunshine. Lynn Whipple herself is going to hopefully get me in a in a good mindset. <laughs> Hell yeah. I can't <laughs> wait for that. That's really cool. I love Lynn. I'm not going to put that pressure on her, but uh, that's kind of what's going on in the back of my mind anyway. <laughs> She's going to show up and be in her first bad mood ever. <laughs> that's going to ruin the whole thing. No, I can't wait for you to talk to Lynn. That's fantastic. That'll uh, I'll try to set up John, too, so we can get both the Whipples on here and get their voices out there. They've been big parts of our industry for a long time, so I can't wait to, to get down in it and soak up some of that sunshine. Totally. So that's awesome. And uh, Will, by the way, it has been officially one. One year for our little project here. Our little project is one year old. It's, a, it's walking. Ah, it's walking, but it's still pooping its pants. It's That's pooping good. its pants plenty. <laughs> <laughs> walking, almost talking, and still pooping. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for staying with us with this whole ride with us, ladies and gentlemen. It's been fun. It's taken on new legs. And uh, really appreciate Zap for backing us financially and NAIA for giving us a little bit of um, street cred. Uh, street cred. <laughs> Right, right. If NAIA yeah. has street cred, if it does. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So yeah, it's all good. And uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned coming up here. So, you know, thanks for being along with us, everyone. Yeah, we've got really cool talks coming up with all sorts of different artists. We're trying to keep it balanced. And if you want to get in on the conversation, please join us on Facebook, on our Facebook group, The Independent Artists. Don't be shy and starting up a dialogue with us. It's always fun to hear what you guys have to talk about. Who knows? We'll bring it into the conversation. Sure. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump on and write us a review. Give us some stars on Apple. It helps uh, spread us further, let more people know we exist. And uh 
help build this show even bigger. Help help build us our little sound forts that we put up <laughs> in our, us, our studio. Help us invest in a nicer sound studio. Uh, Will's uh, sound fort is a little uh, reminiscent of a 12-year-old sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. I've got, I don't know. I, I It honestly is giving me uh, claustrophobia the likes of uh, airplanes. I get claustrophobia <laughs> on airplanes Do when you? I travel. Okay. Yeah, big time. And it's, you know, it's it's exit row claustrophobia, but it's okay. still there. You All know? right, there you go. <laughs> right. I always, it's not that I'm actually going to throw that door open, but the option is there if I need it. That's right. And if uh, you want to kick on the back of someone's reclining seat, we know that's been known to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stephen King was kicking on my reclining seat this week. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks here, and uh, safe travels and have good shows. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, check out Will's website at willarmstrongart.com and my website at sigwithglass.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. 